0: Ball pretty well hit left field. Conine towards the corner. Conine towards the wall. Leaping and he got it. What a grab by Jeff Conine. Conine swings in the first pitch. High
1: fly ball left field. Deep. It's up. up and away. A home run for Jeff. in the Marlins Hall
0: of Fame. Outside the box with Jeff Conine. It has been a little while. We've both been traveling all over. We've both been busy. But Jeff, thank you for taking the time. Two days, two days until your college baseball career as a coach starts. How amped are you, Jeff? Well, first of all, great to be here. Uh, It's
1: been too long, but um, yeah, it's... uh, beyond excited. You know, we start, um, with our fall season in early September and, uh, we go through pretty close to the end of November, uh, playing and working out and getting these kids ready for the college baseball season. Then you have to take two months off. Um, yeah. so, uh, you start back up again, uh, early January, um, right when the kids get back to school, January 10th, we started again and, you know, with the NCAA rules about how much time you're allotted each week to work with everyone. Starts off at eight hours per week when you first come back for about three weeks, and then it goes to 20 hours per week. So now we can start having scrimmages and uh, against each other. And, you know, luckily there's a big enough roster in college baseball to make two teams. So we've got, basically the guys are playing against each other for uh, almost three weeks now, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing our guys play against each other. I'm, I'm really ready for, Uh, college baseball season to start and see what our guys are capable of and what's been
0: you know the most just I I guess you know you go into a job you have things you expect you have things that you didn't expect on the good side the bad side usually it's the good side when you get to do something like coaching college baseball Uh, what's been the most pleasant surprise of being able to coach at Florida International University so far I mean the games haven't started yet but you've You've worked a lot. I mean, I I would argue that I mean, the the most tumultuous times has got to be preparing for the season because that's the most stressful point is you know making sure the guys are ready to go. Uh what's been the biggest surprise and most pleasant surprise of, of the gig so far?
1: I think uh probably the most pleasant surprise is how much I love it. You know, I <laughs> that's, I didn't know That's that's a great e-
0: answer. <laughs> I
1: didn't know what to expect going in. Uh, you know, I didn't know if this would be for me. They said, "Hey, let's do it for a year and and see if you enjoy it and see if you like it. And um, it's been fantastic. You know, I love teaching the game of baseball and and these guys are all, um, you know, uh, trying to expand their knowledge each day. They're receptive. They ask questions. They, um, you know, put forth a a tremendous amount of effort. Um, And what more can you ask as a teacher and a coach than that? So it's been it's been fantastic.
0: Yeah it's really funny it's 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 one of those things where when the players have that hunger for knowledge it just it, it gives you more hunger right to to want to provide that knowledge right like it gives you almost more energy right to keep going when they when they're asking you questions and they you could see the the inquisitiveness right i mean these are guys i feel like fiu does a really good job of recruiting from home um, and a lot of I mean, you guys go all over, but a lot of the South Florida just baseball, Miami through and through guys. you feel like your roster is made up of a lot of those just just baseball, junkie South Florida types that have just played almost every minute of their whole lives. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, ninety percent of our
1: roster is probably from Florida, and majority of that is South Florida. And these uh, kids are grown up in this baseball system, this crazy baseball travel system that we have here. and um, we were lucky we could do it all year long in Florida, and these kids played, have played hundreds of games um, before they were even get in high school, you know, where when I was growing up out in California, we had a little league season. That was it. I played 21 or 22 games. That was it. Go on to the next sport and wait till next year. And now it's a constant barrage of baseball. And, you know, they're it shows these kids are way better than than uh, anything that we came up with uh, out of California. Uh, as a whole, I mean, now um, it's just baseball's life um, down here. So, um, like you said, it's fun to have uh, these kids have played against each other a lot uh, growing up. They played a travel ball together and and against each other in high school together and against each other. So uh, they're
0: all very well versed uh, in each other's games, and uh, we're ready to put it together. And you guys don't waste any time. You guys have some some pretty big games out of the gate, Michigan coming down you know, to, to play you guys for a three game set, uh, Miami, not too far after for a quick one game spot. Uh, it's going to be a pretty good gauge there. And, uh, how excited are you for that first, uh, that first series, uh, just the first college series where you're in the dugout and you've never been in the dugout as anything other than a player, right? I mean, maybe when you were with the Marlins uh, on the side of pregame as, as an advisor and then in the, in the front office, but, You've never been in the dugout for a game uh, as anything but a player, right? Well, spring training, I would suit up
1: and I'd be in in the dugout for games. But, uh, you know, those didn't count. Obviously, this, uh, I keep telling the kids, this is when the bell rings. You know, this is when things get real and and everything starts counting. You start writing everything down. The stats count and uh, the ERAs count and the wins count. So, um, yeah, for real games, this is the first time I've ever done this. So it's – and it. I'm super excited. <clears throat> we got uh University or St. Thomas University from Minnesota is going to be our first games. Uh, I'm sure they're w- <laughs> ready to get out of the uh, tundra, frozen tundra up there and come down to sunny South Florida. It's supposed to be nice this weekend in the 80s and um it'll be a good test. I mean, it's a Division 3 school just going to Division 1 this year, but last year uh they had a heck of a season. I think they were like 38 and 17 or something. Um they got some pretty good pitching uh coming at us uh we got a fifth year grad student i think starting on friday a lefty that uh, had about 83 innings pitched and struck out 114 batters
0: so i don't care what level you're at that's that's pretty good yeah i was gonna say that's that that is good at any level and then from there you get a sneaky good program in bethune cookman that again any florida school (laughs) i always say it any florida college that you play is good like they're gonna have dudes uh bethune cookman I mean, you guys are going to have FAU, which I think will be a really fun matchup as well. I believe that's a home and home, right? One and one where you have one up there and one down by you guys. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it's like the, the
1: crosstown rivalry, uh, <laughs> so to speak. And the only other team, and I think in our conference, it's even in Florida. You know, our conference is spread out all over the United States. Uh, I know we go to San Antonio this year. We go to Louisiana Tech uh we go to western kentucky and we go to uh birmingham um uab so um it's pretty spread out pretty spread I'm out
0: e- i'm excited for fau selfishly because that's about a an, a six minute drive from me whereas yeah. <laughs> uh, i'd be a little bit further to get down there i'm gonna make the trip absolutely but a little bit further traffic pending uh to get down to fiu's incredible facility down there uh but really excited to check out the team a lot of good players this year and and, and a lot to watch for and a pretty fun schedule, uh, so we will definitely be keeping tabs there. And I'm excited to talk to you after that first series, which uh, by the time this episode's out will be tomorrow. Um, so keep tabs on FIU uh, as they continue to get ready for the season and get going. Here, uh, we're hoping that baseball players at the highest level will be able to start getting ready for the season. And um, you know, I know you've been you've been busy being a coach and getting your team ready, but on the professional side and on the major league side, it's been incredibly frustrating, Jeff. Uh, It has been really, really frustrating to see uh, the way the negotiations have gone or not gone so far. And, you know, it's not totally surprising. We knew this was on the horizon. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but um, you know, What's really interesting to me, and I wanted to kind of talk about it with you versus some of the differences from 94, which you lived firsthand, whereas you're more on the outside of this one, uh, and just explaining some of the things that I saw that really stood out to me. and, And I'm curious if any of this is stuff that you notice in 94, it's a different world in terms of media and ways that you can leak things and how you can use PR to your advantage. And I think we're seeing a Rob Manfred led side on MLB do a really good job um, or bad job depending how you look at it of using the media, using PR. Um, And there's just been a lot more public comments. This, this whole dispute has been a lot more public, which I think makes it look a lot worse in 94. It was bad enough to halt the season. Right. And I mean, that has to be bad and, and it was bad for baseball, but it wasn't as visible publicly because you didn't have all of these ways of dissemination of quotes and information and leaks and this and that. Uh, how ugly was it just by the fact of me not being alive in 94? How ugly was it optically? It was ugly enough for, you know, the fandom to take a big hit. Attendance was down once baseball came back. Viewership was down. But how ugly was it through the process in terms of, you know, what the public was able to know about what the dispute was? And, and honestly, what were the big, big, big talking points there that halted the season?
1: Well, um, like you said, you know, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no um, Instagram to keep everyone up to date minute by minute. They basically had to read the newspaper or watch the news or watch ESPN to kind of keep up with what negotiations were going or how they were going at that point. Um, You know, I think the main sticking point back then is that the owners wanted a hard salary cap. And, um, you know, it's been so long, it's, it's hard for me to remember exactly what the the huge sticking points were. But I know that was one of the, the major ones uh, was a hard salary cap. And, you know, the CBA was was expiring uh, after the season was over. And we felt as a players association that um, to get their attention and to get to the negotiating table and to get a deal done, uh, we needed to walk out. And that's exactly what we did. August 12th. 1994, we didn't go to the ballpark, and um, as we know and and everyone knows, the rest of that season was canceled, which, you know, first time in in Major League Baseball history, there wasn't a World Series, I think, outside of World War II, so it was very damaging, very damaging, because, you know, it goes both ways, you know, uh, I think the general public sees you know, baseball players as rich athletes that have nothing to complain about. They make a lot of money, and why on earth would you walk away from a season when you make so much money and everything seems hunky-dory? Um, and you know, without the social media nowadays, we had to wait until the papers come out and yeah. try to explain our side of the story and the great point. And, you know, kind of gauge how negotiations are going and tell everyone that oh, it's not just about money; it's about you know, playing conditions and and the owners taking advantage of of their situation. So, um, you know that I think was the main thing that you know, especially you know, my wife would go out and uh, the fans were mad. You know, they're like, we're just they thought it was just about money and that's all it was. And you guys make so much money and that takes care of all problems if you just have a lot of money. And um, you know, the average fan uh, didn't really know why we went on strike and. Um, that was tough to explain to a lot of people.
0: I I love that you brought this up, and that's why I just knew having the conversation in itself, we'd we'd be able to find a lot of just differences between the two, and and that's got to be one of the biggest differences, right? What I've noticed that is so unanimous, or nothing's unanimous in this world, but very close to unanimous has been the support for the players. I mean, I have a, the occasional you know profile pictureless Twitter account that yells at me saying the players are greedy, but the vast ninety nine percent of people are are understanding that the players are just trying to have fair representation here. They're just trying to have some sort of semblance of just being compensated at you know, what is fair to what the revenue has reflected through the years. It's only fair, right? We're seeing more disparity in what the owners are bringing in versus what the players are getting. And we're also seeing the shelf life of players shorter, and it's taking longer for them to get paid. I think it's very obvious what those issues are. But- it seemed like in 94, you had that issue of the players were the ones that quote unquote decided to, to end the season technically. Whereas in this instance, the owners locked out the players and that's it. The players are like, Hey, we want to go, but they've got to be fair here. We're not just going to agree to any deal. Uh, That's a big difference here. And do you think that if there is a delay to the season, the fact that the players have a lot more support than usual, Uh, Would would maybe lessen the impact that you saw, because something you've talked about, one of the big themes on this podcast has been how much of a hit 94 took to the or how much it was just of an impact to baseball as a whole um, and as a product and as as a company. Uh, Do you think that it wouldn't be necessarily as catastrophic since people won't have that anger towards the players and owners alike? It's more of just an owner's frustration. Um.
1: I think it'll be less. Yes, because back in 94, we are the ones that walked away. So the fans were mad. You know, we, uh, I don't think people realize that we drew over 3 million fans here in South Florida the first year. Uh, We were on pace to draw over 3 million again in the second year, or right around 3 million. And that's, those are huge numbers. Uh, Not many teams do that nowadays. And the fan base here just turned away. They said, all right, We got something else to watch. We're going to go watch it. And when we came back, the fans weren't there anymore. So that happened uh, um, pretty much across the country. You know, it was until that 98 season when Sosa and Maguire made that uh, ridiculous, you know, home run uh barrage that that ended up in setting new records um i think that's you know they say it's been in doc, documentary even that that's yeah. the season the fans came back you know maguire and sosa brought them back uh and after that attendance numbers went back up and and baseball was was in vogue again you know so you know there's a lot to consider a lot to consider um you know when you don't play and there's no revenue coming in it, it hurts both sides um so I think what's going on now with negotiations is negotiations, You know, they start low, uh, we start high and uh, that's where they go. And they walk away and it's posturing. It's like when you go to a, a used car lot or a, a new car lot, whatever, and you say, I wanna pay this for this car. And the guy says, ah, sorry, I can't do that. And you walk away and he's like, whoa, wait a second. Wait a second, come on back. Let's, let's yep. talk about this now. Because when you show that you're serious about what you want, um, then that's what spurs uh, negotiations and and totally, eventually totally. deal.
0: It's it's a great point, too, because, you know, every single time we have a meeting, it's been better now, but out of the gate, it was like, oh, the meeting between the players and the owners only lasted 10 minutes. And everyone's like, it's hysteric. Like people are hysterical on Twitter. Like, oh, it's over. No season. We're screwed. I'm like, no, it's just this is how it's always been. You just didn't know it because now you have guys. And I know you'll love this, Jeff, that you have guys. I forget who it was, Trevor May, I believe it was, was talking about the negotiations and his frustrations with it on his Twitch stream as he played video games. So he's playing video games and he's complaining about Ron Manfred, you know, when you're talking about how you guys had to wait until you could be heard through, you know, the newspaper on an interview or whatever it may be. And these guys can go just fire up their uh, computer, fire up the Xbox, turn on a camera and vent. And people will listen, and it'll be on every single publication. It got picked up by everything, all right. Because the player speaking out and being pretty, uh, taking a pretty big stance there. Uh, I know you are a you're a we guy. You're not a me guy, but '94 you were hitting 319, 373, 525, which is just an insane, insane slash line. You had 18 home runs through 115 games. And uh, how difficult was it for you to be like, yeah, yeah, let's let, let's What's bang this season? No thanks. It's, let, let, let's end this thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's rough. It's rough. And, and I think, especially when you're having a great season, you don't want it to end. Um, but our leadership was very, very good at explaining uh, why the whys we needed to walk out. And uh, eventually, pretty much everybody was on board. You know, there's a few uh, dissenting votes here or there, but a majority of guys were like, yeah, we need to do this. We want to stand up for. What the the groundwork that has been laid for us in the past by other guys that have gone on strike and and fought for what we had at that point, and um, you know we had big meetings, uh, we had East Coast meetings and West Coast meetings, and I went to Tampa and there's 300 and some players in a ballroom in, in Tampa at a hotel in Tampa, uh, they kept us up to date and they you know were we were well informed on on what the issues were and you know, we couldn't just, like you said, open up a computer and, and talk about or see what was going on. We had to meet in person, or uh, if we had questions, we had to pick up the phone call with the cord on it and the, the dial thing and call the player association and find out what was going on. Um, so aside from that, we knew what was printed in the newspaper or we saw on ESPN. And um, it was a slow process because of that. And I think, you know, nowadays um, it should be accelerate more quickly just because of that because there's so much information out there and everybody knows where everyone
0: stands and let's just get it moving i agree totally and the last question kind of on the lockout side but as it pertains to you one of the big topics is you know what as i mentioned earlier the how long it takes players to get paid you know and of course they're getting paid but the they want to raise the minimum salary and the years of control is something that's really frustrating for players because if the shelf life is shorter for the average baseball player and it's taking as long as ever for players to, to get control or to, to expire that control, right. To, to play out those years where teams have either arbitration or minor league or minor salary control. Service time manipulation is a big topic of it. And, That wasn't necessarily something with you, but if you come up at age 26, 27 with the years of control that teams now have over you, you're not going to get that new contract or that ability to hit free agency until you're 32, 33. How is that for you as somebody that you were a little bit later coming up through the minor leagues? Because when you were drafted, you had zero at-bats under your belt. You, You were able to hit and make up for lost time about as efficiently and effectively as anybody could but by the time you really made your full full debut and played a full 162, you were 27 years old and fortunately you played 17 years because you hit until you were 41. but I mean how long was it until you were able to hit the open market and and go get y- your free agent contract?
1: yeah I mean that that's a big point of contention because nowadays you know uh, 32 33 is an aging baseball player and if you don't have a productive season, you know they'll find somebody else um so it's a good point you know the first 3 years uh are total control by the team and they are under no obligation to give you a raise you know i've known of teams that uh would give you the minimum salary for basically and maybe just a minor minor bump in salary those first 3 years it doesn't matter what kind of year you had um you know back in the day when uh, when i was first coming up the the minimum salary was 109 and you know the next year they might give you a raise to 120 and then the year after that they might go 140 but that's they were under no obligation to give you any more than that until you reached arbitration um so like, like you said I came up at, at 27 years old and now that's old for someone that's making their their debut in the big leagues it's tw- I got called up at 24 but didn't stick until 27 that was my full time gig and um That's late. That's late. And I was fortunate enough to be productive through my 30s and be wanted by teams still and and was able to get contracts. But um, I think majority of players um, around 33, 34, they're getting forced out of the game.
0: When did you feel like you were maybe slowing down a tad or at least things that came easy to you physically started to become a little bit more of a thought? At what point did you feel? like you weren't the 27 year old invincible athlete. Uh, like, I, I always am curious, I know it's different for every player, but at what point did you start to feel that a little bit?
1: Um, you know, for me, it was it was later. Um, you know, in 2003, what was I, 37 or 38? You know, I had, I had a pretty good season there combined with Baltimore. Um, I felt good the next year too. And I unfortunately had a shoulder injury that kind of really set me back in 2005 um, had limited at bats and, and, um, and then, you know, I, I, signed a free agent contract with Baltimore and, and they had a performance clause in there that, you know, if I got, if I hit a number of at bats, it automatically kicked in for 2007. So it actually worked out perfect for me because I knew I, I was getting up there. And I think those were the years where I really felt like, you know, my skills were, were slowing down. I'd become more of a platoon type player, uh, more off the bench. And uh, it was a perfect thing to say, you know what, if my incentive kicks in, that'll be my last year. And if it doesn't, this will be my last year. So 2006 was it for me and I knew it. Uh, I was uh, so fortunate that I got to call my own shot and walk away from the game under my own terms, uh, which a lot of guys, I would say majority of guys don't get to do. You know, They just uh, try to hang on and and try to get new contracts, which of course you'd want to as, as long as you can. Um, but I was fortunate enough to uh, walk away and know that I did everything I could for this game.
0: Totally. And, and that's, I mean, that's the thing that I think players are fighting for because you're in the 1% or less, right, that, that are able to do that, and they're trying to fight for you know, a lot of the guys that aren't fortunate enough to be able to to maneuver that way and, and get through their career and, and call the shots at the end there. Um, back to 94, about just the season itself. One of my favorite things to just talk about is like, what if, you know, what if we finished that year? What if we were able to see how the rest of it went? You know, you would have had an insane season as you already did, Uh, but a division rival at the time might've won the world series. And I'm curious if you think they could have pulled it off. And, you know, if, if you could run a simulation, who would you put your, your bet on, I guess, so to speak, Would it be the Expos or would it be another team? Because that Expos team was 74 and 40. They had players from a young 21-year-old Cliff Floyd to Moises Alou to Hall of Famer Larry Walker, Marquise Grissom. I mean, this was a really good team. Pedro Martinez on the pitching side. I I mean, this was unbelievably talented. And then they had uh, the man himself, Felipe Alou, at the helm who – was the guy that promised to get you in in the All Star Game, got you that pinch hit spot, and uh, you did the rest. Uh, do you think that team would have pulled it off if if they were able to finish the season? Yeah, yeah, they were the best
1: team in baseball that year. Um, I think, heading above anybody else, they just uh, <clears throat> had the best outfield I think I'd ever played against. Really, you know, Lou Grissom and Walker out there. Um, you know, Grissom was one of those frustrating center fielders that played very shallow. And uh, could go back on a ball with the best of them. And, and if it had any air underneath it, he was catching it. And you had the corner guys, uh, Alou and, and Walker. Walker might have been one of the best athletes I've ever seen play the game of baseball. He could do it all. Run, throw, hit. Uh, had a cannon for an arm. Had great speed. Is a big dude. Had power. I mean, he was, you know, that prototypical five-tool guy that uh, manned a ridiculous right field. So, Outfield, probably one of the best uh, I've ever seen. Um, their pitching staff was so solid with Pedro. I think Ken Hill was on that staff. Yep. Uh, who was the lefty? Uh, they had the lefty. Jeff
0: Facero.
1: Jeff Ficero was Butch solid. Henry. They had, uh, who was their closer? Their closer was, oh, uh, was Wetland their closer that
0: year? John Wetland. I'm not even yeah. familiar with John Wetland, but he had a 283 ERA in 63 and two thirds. Maybe they went closer by committee, Mel Rojas. I know Mel Rojas. Yeah. Mel Rojas yeah. was great too. Yeah, you know, it was one of those
1: seasons where, you know, everything gels and everything, they had all the right personnel to make it happen. And, uh, you know, we, we did it twice in, in Florida. And they're two totally different teams, but you know when you got it. You know in the clubhouse when you got it. And they had it that year.
0: So what, like baseball is so weird. How do you return in 95 and go 66 and 78 with most of the same team, right? Like they lose Larry Walker. Like, I guess that shows how much of an impact Larry Walker was because you lose Larry Walker. They lost a a couple other guys, but I mean, this is still a lot of the same dudes. Uh, I believe they lost wetland as well. Um, Is that just because of the layoff, all those things, you almost feel like you're starting over again? Or is that kind of a testament to the impact of how good Larry Walker was? Cause I mean, I know Larry Walker was phenomenal, but to hear you say those things about him and across the board and how much he impacted the game. I, I always thought he was a Hall of famer. I thought it was ridiculous that we, we even had conversations about whether or not he was, but I mean, he's that like MVP change, change your team type of guy, huh? Well that, and you know, in the clubhouse, which, you know, you know, if I talk, you and
1: i have talked about a lot is what clubhouse chemistry will do to a team he was that leader in the clubhouse that uh, would command a presence and uh was able to you know from what i've heard anyway i wasn't in a clubhouse with him but you know those guys that that take control and and if you're not playing the, the game the right way they step in and say no this is the way you do it and and everybody respected him he was uh you know, that guy in the clubhouse, that was the glue and so important. And and that shows it right there. You know, they had a great team that next year, uh, like you said, with a very similar personnel, but uh, couldn't get it done.
0: And where does that team rank uh, versus some of the other teams that you, you ran into through your years in baseball? Uh, I, I always think of the three Yankees, right? I mean, that's always going to be one. Some of those Braves teams. Is there another team that was just loaded that maybe we, we don't talk about enough? Um, you know, you talk about the Yankees obviously
1: and I, you know, I've said it before, the 96 to the 01 Yankees were probably the greatest teams I ever played against. Um, not only because they had an all-star at every position basically, but they played the game the right way. You know, Joe Torrey had that group um on the same page as far as conduct on how to be a major league baseball player and how to play the game the right way and they did it, man. It was uh very impressive those teams. Uh, I hated going there because I knew we we're gonna probably gonna get our butts kicked. Um, but as a fan and as a competitor, it was fun uh, competing against those guys. And you know the St. Louis teams uh, were always good and competitive. Uh, I don't think people realize they've only had like one losing season in the last forty years or something crazy. You know, they their record crazy. of putting together winning teams above five hundred is just remarkable. Um, but they do it every single year. And then, um, you know, you look at some of the the low, lower-budget teams that are always there, the the A's, uh, even back then, were talented um, and would put together some some great teams with uh, that pitching staff they had with Mulder, Zito, and, and uh, Hudson, uh, with, you know, Miguel Tejada at short and uh, uh, Eric Chavez at third. And, I mean, they had some really juggernaut teams that uh, never really – Got the recognition they did because they never won the World
0: Series, but they were there every year. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think people realize how how darn good, I don't realize at least sometimes, how darn consistent the Cardinals were. I love talking about just what other organizations stand out to you when, when you're a player that would be like, hey, it would be nice to play there. I think you mentioned St. Louis in the past. What's another team that it would be like, okay, if it ever came up to it, I wouldn't mind playing in that environment and playing for for that organization
1: uh i mean you got all the you know us as entertainers we're we're baseball is we're entertainers you know and you look at the great fan bases across america and the great teams that i think you'd like to play in front of so uh, boston and new york always were um, at the top of the list, like, hey, if I had an opportunity to be a Yankee or Red Sox for a year, that would that'd be pretty special. Chicago Cubs. I mean, uh, those fans adore the Cubs, where right across town, the White Sox, you know, not so much. You, you want to be in a Cubs uniform. And uh, you go out to the West Coast, and the Giants have always had amazing fans. And, um, you know, I love the Bay Area and um, the Dodgers. To be a Dodger would be cool. You know, the, the place draws 3 million every single year for the last 50 years. You know, it's crazy how uh, amazing their fan base is, even though they show up in the third and leave in the seventh, you know, they still show up. Uh, But um, you know, those, those, the teams, I think that that St. Louis, another one that, you know, just one of the best fan bases in baseball. And you just love that uh, when you went there, the fans, would root against you but they're also appreciative of a good play and they they'd give you a hand for making a
0: diving catch or something like that because they they love the game. That that's one of my favorite things. When when you tell me that I'm like that's that's what it's all about. I w- w- whenever I see a player just absolutely rob, you know, when I was going to Marlins games as a fan, I'd always look at my dad and we'd be like, man, that, that was that was pretty cool. Like you, you got you got to give credit where credits due and and you love a good fan base that does that. I want to quiz you because you're so good with the recall, on 90 to 99, that decade, some of the best performers, and see if you can guess it, because this was a trivia question. And the second I got, I didn't get it right. I'll tell you, you could have given me 500 guesses, I wouldn't have got it right. And the second that I found out the answer, I was like, I got to ask Jeff this. I got to see if Jeff knows this. So for the decade of I'm 90 bad. 99. I'm bad at this stuff.
1: Other <laughs> than my own team or my own stuff. I mean, I'm not good. So I'll give it a
0: shot, but we'll see. Yeah. Clues probably. I'm telling you, I don't think anybody would get this one. I I was floored by this, but who had the most hits in the 90 to 99 decade in major league baseball?
1: Uh, So obviously it's not an obvious one that, because you wouldn't have said that if it's. um,
0: I like this role reversal. It's almost like the jerseys. Now you know what it feels like. Who had the most hits a great player though. Nonetheless, like, and, and somebody I'm sure you crossed paths with plenty, but but I was still just like, that would never have been a guy that I would have guessed. I'll see if I can give you a couple hints. hits. American League or National League?
1: National League. National League, most hits in the decade of the 90s. Career went from 88 to 2003.
0: Wow, all right. Um, Hall of Famer or no? three-time All-Star, not a Hall of Famer. Uh, um, And he's from, he's from, I I don't know California that well, but he's from California.
1: (laughs) From Cali. Oh, geez. I'm terrible at this game.
0: Won the World Series in 2001. Uh okay narrows it down mark grace yep you Ah. got it how that was impressive see you you sold yourself short on that one i was but how crazy is that mark grace mark grace could rake he could flat out hit that
1: guy was was special man he was a good hitter
0: (laughs) yeah it's not a slight to mark grace but that's kind of like a stump you answer right
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, um, he wasn't that huge power guy, you know, he didn't drive in uh, a boatload of runs or hit a ton of home runs, but uh, God, he was so consistent with the bat. One of the best um, at hitting the ball where it was pitched opposite field up the middle, used all fields all the time. A great defender at uh, first base. Yep. Four you know, go bluffs. Um, Just a and one of those guys, guys, you know, you get down to first base and just was cool and, and liked to talk to you and, and have a good time on the field. So uh, one of my favorite players to play against was Mark
0: Grace. Really? So that yeah. makes it even better. I'm glad I got you with that. I asked you that trivia question. Not surprised you got it. 303 career hitter. I mean, with 24 good. 45 career hits. I mean, good. yeah, crazy and sneaky, one, sneaky good career. You're right. Sneaky good career. Some of these guys, they they deserve a little bit of praise. And that's the thing, Jeff. I, I was talking about it, and I forget who it was, but somebody was asking me, you know, what's it what's it been like hosting the podcast? So Jeff, you must like learn a lot more about the nineties. Cause you know, I've always been a, a history guy when it comes to baseball, but I mean, there's no way I can know all these things. And I said, one of the things that stands out to me the most is how many guys had great careers in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands that we overlook, uh, or that just almost don't get talked about enough. Albert bell being the one that you really clued me into about his peak. I mean, his peak is as good as any, I take his peak over anybody or up there with anybody in the modern era. Um And, and I think it's just cool really looking at a lot of these, 2000s and 90s guys that could really hit that get over overlooked a little bit by the the power surge that we saw across the game uh but you would have hit the 2000 hit threshold if 94 wasn't cut short either and that's yep. a, that's another one too how much did those milestones you're you're kind of a numbers guy right i mean like you remember numbers really well how much did those did those numbers matter to you through the years i mean like at the end of the day winning's the most important but it it's cool. I mean, I would care. I'll be honest, like not, not publicly or celebrating or throwing myself a party, but internally I'm like, wow, that's 2000. Like that's cool. Or oh, that's 1500. That that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. You know, you don't uh, really, I didn't really pay attention to numbers until later on um, when you start hitting a couple of milestones. I remember walking up to the plate uh, in Cincinnati and they flashed on the big board that I was playing my 2000th game and that's I had no awesome. idea. I had no idea that I'd, been, I'd played 2000 games and I looked at them and I'm like, wow, damn, that's a lot of games, uh, yeah, you know, stuff awesome. like that. Obviously, you know, the big milestones, you know, how many hits you got basically after if you're going towards uh, 2000 or some big milestone like that. You know, it's it's everywhere. It's in the game notes and and people talk about the interview you about it. So you try not to focus on those. You try not to focus on results. I always tried to focus on day to day uh, goals of getting myself prepared and, and playing a game. And then, you know, the numbers, um,
0: you know, you play long enough, they're going to, they're going to pile up. And that's what really what it is 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 it's a battle of longevity, which is so difficult. A few more quick questions before we flip the script and I'll, I'll guess the Jersey most K's from 90 to 99, more obvious guy, but there's a lot of really good players from 90 to 99. Most K's. And pitching wise. Yes.
1: Uh, 90 to 99 pitching K's would probably be, uh, Randy Johnson. Boom. Got it.
0: 2,538. Wow. Average 250 a year. That's insane. How, how uncomfortable was he? He was, uh,
1: well, I faced him my first time I ever faced him. I had gotten called up in 1990, uh, that 24 year old rookie. Uh, we go to Seattle, the King dome. And, um, you know, George Brett has Randy Johnson itis that day. So uh, hey Rook, you're playing first base, and I got to face Randy Johnson back in the day when he wasn't a pitcher. He was a thrower, and he was throwing a hundred and didn't really know where it was going. and that was a very, very uncomfortable at bat. I'd never seen anything like that, you know, and at six foot ten, he's almost shaking hands with you when he releases the ball. It's so close. And just an odd arm angle and the slider was just wipe out crazy slider and uh, that was a very uncomfortable at bat, but they um, ended up hitting a home run off him here in, in South Florida when he's with the Diamondbacks later on in his career, but um, still one of the best pitchers in the history
0: of the game. He didn't John Cruck you, right? With like a fastball way over your head. That, no, I mean, that no. That's one of my favorite clips ever. You see Kruk just like, whoo, just turn, the,
1: turn their helmet around backwards. John Cruck was one of the greatest, funniest guys in
0: our game. Maybe in the history, he was awesome. That's a guy. That's a guy I would on top of the list of just like, wouldn't it be great to talk to him? I mean, he, he's just an unbelievably funny, dude. When you look at those clips through the years, and uh, one of my one favorite last- stories
1: is a John Crux story. He gets, so we're playing the Phillies, he gets to first base and it's a million degrees and he is sweating profusely like you wouldn't believe. He walks down to first base and he looks at me and he goes, How the F do you guys play down here, man? <laughs> This is unbelievable, guys. I can't wait to get back in the clubhouse and have a beer. And uh, so he leads off, you know, he takes his lead off. And I think Benito Santiago is behind the plate. And it was early in the game. So the, I don't even, I don't know if it had rained or the, the, you know, ground was a little slick. So Benito like back picks after a pitch and he belly flops and barely gets back to the bag. Cause he slipped a little bit and he stands up, he goes, what the fuck is going on here? I'm not, are you kidding me? I'm not going anywhere. And he's like yelling at Benito San Diego during the game. He's like, "Come on, man! What the fuck's going on here?" <laughs> so then he stands there and they give signs, and he's like, "What the?" They put on a hit and run. So I don't know if they're just doing this to, to mess with John Cruck, but he takes off right, and it's a foul ball. So he comes back to the bag, and he's huffing and puffing, he's sweating like crazy. He goes, "Screw this! I ain't going nowhere. I'm not looking for signs." I ain't looking for nothing. And he literally got like a two foot lead and I'm like, you know, a rookie. And here's John Cruck. just this dialogue that I'm hearing from is cracking me up and he got like a two foot lead. He goes, I am staying put. I ain't getting picked off. I ain't stealing nothing. So the next pitch or two was a ground ball to second base and he didn't even make it halfway. He just peeled off and, and ran to the dugout and he might've had a beer in between innings. I don't know, but
0: uh, he was a, he was a funny, funny guy. That's unbelievable. That, that's a great story. I, I know that feeling um, of the, the, I mean, you're probably seeing it now. I mean, the weather's good down in Florida right now, but it, you're going to have some players that are, that are feeling it. Uh, but in college, you, you better keep going. If they put the hit and run on five times, you better be ready to go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you got to go a long way to get to territory where John Kruk, you can get away with the stuff that John Kruk was getting away with. You got to be a big league all-star. Uh, Yeah, If you're
1: you're hitting 300 plus, you can, you can get away with stuff like that.
0: (laughs) Last one. Speaking of all-stars, I'm going to give you three of the four guys that were 10 time all-stars through that decade. So they're all-star every single year of it. Cal Ripken Jr. Tony Gwynn, Ken Griffey Jr. And one other player. Do you know who the one other player is that was a 10 time all-star through that duration? um is it a yankee he was never a yankee now um ozzy smith good guess but no Omar but Vista. roberto alomar oh, roberto alomar wow good one he had a uh a nice little stretch there from literally he was never an all-star again after 2001 it was 1990 2001 none on either side of it after that but i thought that was a crazy one just because four guys all-stars every single year through that decade That's team crazy. with the most wins braves 925 unsurprising there um and you know we you saw firsthand how good how good that team was um yeah. flipping the script now you've got i'm assuming an orioles jersey on you are correct sir we gave it away. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be Ripken, right? I mean, like that no, we one already, already did. did. We already did Ripken. Yep. Can you give lots me to choose from hey. lots to choose from? I've got a number of uh, Orioles jerseys. That's why I, t- I know Orioles. Whenever you break out the O's, it's going to be tough for me because you're the, you were there in different different spots. Ah, what years? Like what year range? Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame Oriole.
1: Hall of Fame Oriole. Probably
0: 70s was his biggest decade. Uh, I might be a little bit. He was probably before this Brooks Robinson. Uh, no, good guess, though. He was 60s, right? He was 60s and 70s. Unbelievable glove. I was watching some of his old video. Oh, my gosh. Insane. I think, okay. what, 19 gold gloves or eight, seven. <laughs> No, it'll never be topped, I don't think, by, by yeah. a third baseman. Maybe no. Aaron is the only guy that has a shot. Um he ain't gonna mm, play 19 years. Yeah, yeah, there's no way. No one can do it anymore like that. Uh damn, that was my be- that was my ace. <laughs> that was ace in the hole. That was my best guess. Um mm, I don't know who I would guess if it's not Brooks Robinson. Um pitcher. Pitcher? Yeah. Oh, geez. I might have to throw in the towel on an Orioles pitcher. Wow, really? Come on, arm. Orioles pitcher. I'm going to be upset with myself, aren't
1: I? Yeah, probably.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim Palmer. Yeah, I'm going to be upset with <laughs> myself for a while for that one. You're Damn. Good. Palmer. Okay, that's a cool one. And that is a sweet Jersey. Yeah. what's the story on Palmer. Well, he was one of our, uh, you know, TV guys,
1: he, he did announcing for the Orioles. So I got to see him pretty much every single day and we'd talk shop in the clubhouse. And, uh, specifically I remember, and I think it was 2001, maybe, I mean, I'm having a really good year. Um, and I was just absolutely mashing fastballs. Like I don't know if I've ever gone through a stretch this long of hitting the ball hard every single night. Like (laughs) even my outs were like, I was just making solid, solid contact every single night. And he came down to me one night and this is, I don't know, it's been going on for months and I'm just crushing the ball. And he looks at me and he goes, when are these guys going to stop throwing you a first pitch fastball for a strike? He goes, I say it almost every night. They're not listening to me because they keep doing it and you just keep destroying the baseball. I'm like, Jim, don't mess up a good thing. Now, just stop talking about it on the air. And uh, you know, it was a three-month stretch where I don't think I've ever been as locked in in three months
0: as that that stretch there. What what ha- what makes that happen? For you? Is it just be a, is it just beyond our comprehension? Just something. Uh,
1: you know, the baseball is is such a mental game, but hitting is. You're you're a better hitter when you have a lack of thought at the plate. So I tell the guys that all the time, they're like, huh? I'm like, yeah, you know, you can be cerebral in your workouts and your drills and your extra work and all this stuff. But when you step in the box and your routine in the on-deck circle and your routine walking up to the plate and listen to your walk-up song and you tap, tap, tap and, you know, do all your stuff. But when you get ready to see that pitch, your mind should be clear. There should be no thought unless, you know, I have a a plan that I'm going to attack the first pitch that I see, you know, if it's a... But I was just so thoughtless in that that three-month span. I just saw every pitch so well that uh, it didn't matter what was thrown up there. If it was a strike, I was going to hit it hard.
0: How many innings do you think Jim Palmer threw in his
1: career? Oh, man, he was way up there. Uh, We're talking about back in the day when, you know, Jim Palmer would start probably, you know, 32 starts nowadays is, is a full slate for a pitcher.
0: He might've started 40 games in a year. He did. He went you know, 40, 40 starts in 76 with 23 complete games, 23 complete games.
1: There are, you could probably combine every complete game in the last few years in the major leagues. It wouldn't be 23. And he did absolutely it solo, not. solo in one year. And I guarantee you he's thrown over 300 innings, multiple, multiple times.
0: Yep. 3,948 innings and i think maybe the most the most jaw-dropping figure for me 1975 10 shutouts that's insane 10 shutouts cuz you could say what you want about like oh they would just let them go longer in terms of like going complete game even when they weren't pitching incredibly 10 shutouts you haven't even had that many complete games in the last 2 years i don't think so i mean that is that is insane um but yeah love love the jim palmer uh reminder good
1: golfer too man he's to play my golf tournament all the time too. really good golfer and good golfer yeah just a great guy
0: Just a good guy well that's one that i'm now i'm jim palmer will be on my mind for a little bit he came up when he was 19 played till he was 38 so literally doubled his age uh I mean, what was his career record he won over 300 games right 268 268, 268. but i uh, you got probably somewhere to go i know you got two days now until or one day when people are listening to this, till, College baseball season. FIU starts up. Uh, I'm looking forward to tuning in. Uh, Do you guys have a stream? Am I able to stream those games? I don't even know. I don't, I don't know if we do. I've got to find out. Well, if you need a broadcaster, I know a guy when I'm in town. Um, (laughs) Oh, I I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. So we can talk about that, but, uh, definitely if you're in the Miami area, go check out FIU. They're going to host Michigan soon. They've got a series coming up and, uh, I'm excited to follow along. Jeff, good luck with the first series. And Thank we'll you. be talking through the season. Really excited to just be uh, picking your brain in your first full year as a college baseball coach. Can't wait. I'm really looking forward to
1: it. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to, to expect or what to to kind of compare to. But our team, I like our components. Uh, and I think we have a chance to um, kind of right the ship, so to speak. We haven't had a winning record in a little while here at FIU. And I think this is the team
0: to do it. I'm really excited to see it. When you say that, I'm, I, I believe it. So best of luck, and we'll talk again soon. All right, brother.